Well, I am glad to be here. And uh, I wasn't here last Sunday. I was supposed to be. Uh, I've been uh, struggling with a few things over the last month and a half. And, um, and, and that's uh, the genesis for this sermon today because I always write sermons for myself, first and foremost, and then uh, I think that some of the things that I have to say might be of value to somebody else. So today you get a, I think Michael put it this way, a lily sandwich. How many of you were here? A lily sandwich. You get Michael on one side, you get me on the other, and you're Lily in the middle, and we're going to give you a big hug today. And my, my prayer is that when we leave here today, uh, we might all have our eyes opened a little bit, and we might uh, understand a little bit more about how important it is to live Christian community. And also how important it is to, uh, to open yourselves up when you need a little of that. These are crazy times right now. If you turn on the TV, you'd almost think it's depressing. And, and I don't know what it is about the TV, but when it goes on, you know, you kind of get glued to it, even though you know the same stories over and over and over again, um, I've had the blessing of being able to see my grandchildren in the, the last couple of months before all this stuff got going with me. And I've got two of them that are genuinely, were genuinely concerned about going back to school. They're both good kids. They're good students but they haven't been in a regular classroom for over a year. The routine is out. They, are, they haven't been involved with other people. And they're afraid what it's going to be like and what it's going to, are we going to be able to cope? Are, are we going to be able to be students, good students? Um, I didn't realize the height and width and depth of that. But I actually had conversation with, with both of my sons and their wives about getting some help. And we've got this crazy pandemic. We're wearing masks again, aren't we? We, we man, we all went through this stuff already once, and here we are again. I had hoped that this was over. I know that it felt great to be able to walk into a supermarket and not have to worry about whether or not um, I was going to get sick again. People who had lost their jobs, we've now got help wanted jobs, you know, all over the place. We've, we've, got, we've got things we're turning around, and now we're going back to where we were before. Stuff. Stuff. 
I know people in Fayetteville that were uh, out of work, single parents that were trying to take care of their kids, and it hadn't been for the moratorium on, uh, on rent, they would have been out on the street. And now they're in the process of being, and they have no place to go. No place. Uh, now I don't know how many of you were really affected by COVID all that much. I mean, my income didn't change. I'm retired. I'm blessed to, uh, to be able to, to kind of go on. And the impact was relatively minimal, but there are tons and tons of folks that are out there that are living desperately and questions about how am I, I'm, I'm back at work, but if my kids are out of school again, what happens? What do I do? Do I have to, it's choice between kids and, and work and, and all of this. And there's a hopelessness that can permeate our world and our lives. And there are a lot of proud people out there who are afraid to ask for help. And when you're sick, I'm never sick. Never sick. Ask my wife. I'm, I'm the one who's the healthy one. And for six weeks, I have been fighting with something that got to the place where um, I was eating and getting no nutrition. I'd lost, I was on a massive weight reduction program. I didn't want to tell anybody about it. I mean, I'm a pastor. Pastors take care of other people. Pastors are the ones who, uh, who epitomize the American ideology of, of being independent, being strong. We take care of ourselves. We take care of our families. We take care of others. That's what we do. We don't want to be dependent upon others. That's a sign of weakness for many folks. And as a pastor, I have to tell you, you know, 24 years in the military, you lead from the front. You lead from the front. You go out there and, you know, you want me to pray for you, Marie? I am, I am happy to pray. And if, you, if I tell you I'm going to pray for you, I will pray for you. And if there's a problem, as there was in Hurricane Matthew in Fayetteville, uh, we organized churches and went out and led things to take care of 600 people that, were in, that had been displaced. We, we, we do those kinds of things as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what you do as a Christian as you lean forward to do stuff. I, I have been in the prison where we have prayed for somebody and the power of the prayer was so great that was going on there that, I, that, that, that people were literally healed. I realize that Presbyterians don't get into that a whole lot, but I was with a Korean Presbyterian church for seven years as an English pastor, and they take it in a little different level. And I've seen it. And I've been a part of it. I have felt the power go out of me as Jesus turned around and talked about in, when, when the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years and touched the hem of the garment. I've had that experience. And I know what that is like. And I have watched 
people come together in Christian community to do things for others, it is an amazing, amazing thing to do. I don't do as good asking for help. I don't do as good reaching out and saying, Edwin, I need, I need some help. To, to me, that, is, that just hasn't been part of my vocabulary. I don't know about you guys, but asking for help is something that I, I'm happy to help others, but I'm not necessarily happy to seek help. So when I listened to Michael, well, after I called him up at 7.30 on Sunday morning of last week and said, Michael, I'm sorry, I can hardly stand. I'm afraid that if I get in the pulpit, I'm going to be one heck of an opportunity to experience. <laughs> I need to be raised up. Um, it was in a bad way. I've never done that in my life called somebody up at that last moment and said, I'm sorry, I can't. Because I've always been able, I can. That is my byword, I can. And so, um, I've had a bit of a Kairos moment. If you've been through the huddles, um, Kairos moments are where God interrupts your life automatically. I mean, bam, and you, you, uh, you, you say, whoa, and you stop, and you start to reconsider how you've been doing things, and you stop, and you say, you know what, maybe I need to reorient myself and, and get myself to a place where I'm not looking at things and doing things the same way I did before, and that's okay. I have, uh, I've always been a person who has believed that faith without action is dead. I agree with James on that. Now, I will tell you that, you know, action doesn't sa save you. It doesn't do that. But action is a grateful response for the love and for the salvation that you get from faith in Jesus. Charles, Charles Spurgeon put it, put it this way, I, I don't do acts or deeds for faith or for life. I do it because I'm in life. We are called to be different. And if I want to please the Father who has provided me life eternal, then I'm going to do what he's called me to do. So that takes me to James. Now, James is, uh, is kind of an interesting story uh, because James was the half-brother of Jesus. At least we certainly believe that's the case. James was the, the one who didn't believe that his brother was who he said he was. He didn't agree with the mission. He had real serious issues with that. It was the same James that Jesus appeared to after the resurrection 
And he had a Kairos moment of a major type, just like Paul or Saul on the road to Damascus. And he had an aha moment. And he came to a realization that he needed to come away with a different point of view. And he moved on to become the leader of the church, the Jewish Christian church in Jerusalem. He was the guy that when Paul got through and had his, po you know, had his conversion, he was the one. James was the one that Paul sought out when he went to Jerusalem. He was the same one that Paul saw on his last trip to Jerusalem. He's the one who headed the Jerusalem Council, the Council of Jerusalem, where they decided how to deal with these Gentiles, these young Christian Gentiles. Do we require them to be Jews first and then we become Christians, or, or, or how do we do it? He was the guy. He was the guy who, when Stephen died, was martyred. He was the guy that was over the Jewish Christian church in Jerusalem where people scattered. And they scattered to Phoenicia, and they scattered to Cyprus, and they scattered to Syria and Antioch. They scattered all over. Actually, it was a, a wonderful way for God to reach you know, to extend Christianity into different places in the world. But these people found themselves oppressed. These people found themselves facing tribulation. These people felt oftentimes alone. And it's actually believed that uh, it may very well be that the people that James was writing to were those very folk from his congregation. They date the James, uh, the, the letter of James somewhere before the 50 AD, just 15 years or so after Christ was crucified, the resurrection. And he writes to these people that are scattered, almost in wisdom. It's almost like reading Proverbs in a lot of ways. He's talking to them about what, you know, different types of wisdom, how we should live. If you're a Christian and you are living in a place that is different, you're not called to blend into the crowd. You're not called to have an intellectual faith. A faith in Christ demands that you are out there and that you live differently and you act differently and people can tell you are who you are, a Christ follower. That is what James is calling. So he talks to them about all those things. Gee whiz, his brother talked about the Sermon of the Mount the quality of people. You know, Michael, I told Michael in the first service, I said, you know, um, let's say Michael's the pastor and he's a very special person and we take good care of him, you know, because he's somebody. But Connie walks in here 
And she's a little crazy, as we all know she is. And, and we have to keep her close to the side because she bears careful watching. I'm not sure that I want to unleash her. James is saying, no, no, no. That's not what a Christian means. A Christian means that everybody's the same and that we treat everybody the same. And if you've got money, then going after the ways of the world and competition and putting other people down, stepping on top of that's not what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is to be a servant, to be humble, to, to let your light shine before others. They might see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. It's not about us. So James, one of my heroes in a lot of ways. <laughs> James, who understood what it meant to come to faith. James, who was wise and shared that wisdom with people from his, from his church, from his family. James, who after spending four chapters about how they needed to show that they are separate, be careful about using your tongue, be careful about what kind of faith you live, be careful about how you treat others. Everybody should be equal. In the final chapter, actually start at the seventh verse, he switches gears and he goes, now let me tell you something, my brothers and sisters. This is how Christian community should be lived. This is how we put things together. Let me give you a few thoughts on this. And so, I'm going to pick up from the 13th verse of the 5th chapter. Uh, the 7th really starts talking about patience and patience and suffering and waiting because Christ is going to come and, and, and everything is going to work out in the end. But here's what he says. Boy, this really affected me. Is any one of you in trouble? Okay. Trouble. Trouble with relationships. Trouble with money, trouble with work, trouble with all kinds of things. If you've got trouble, let's not put masks on, brothers and sisters. Let's not look good on Sunday morning. Let's not act like the world is good. If we are really brothers and sisters and family, we talk about this. We are truthful to one another. I'm going to tell you something. That's easy to say, but that's not easy to do. Pastors are not supposed to have problems, are we? 
People come to us with problems. Hard to put that smiley face on. When I had my last congregation, I come in on Sunday morning, I take a look out, and I, everybody looked good. They got all cleaned up. Uh, they smelled pretty good. It was a great crowd. They smiled on their faces, but I knew them. And I knew much about what was going on in their lives. But I knew, but a lot of people didn't. What would it be like if we spoke in truth to one another? What would it be like if, if I prayed to God and I prayed with you about the things that are genuinely on my heart, the things that are deep, the things that I don't let other people see. Not only is God going to see him and reward us because he rewards the humble, but there is something freeing about opening up and knowing in a beautiful community of people that are of love that we're not going to necessarily we're not going to be judged we're going to be accepted for who we are because God creates we're fearfully and wonderfully made and we are all sinners and the this church is a hospital for sinners and not a museum for saints amen I'm here chuckling going on over here What would it be like if Bob celebrates something and he prays about it and we sing songs and we all celebrate together? I mean, because his victory is a victory for all of us. What would it be like if we live this Corinthians 12 body where all parts of the same body and if one is suffering, we all suffer, and if one is is celebrating, we're all celebrating. What a thought that would be. And so it says, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now catch this next line. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. Now, I prayed over folk. Michael's prayed over folk. We have anointed people with oil. Oil was a medicinal you know, product back in the day, but I will tell you that oil was not the thing that healed. The thing that healed is the touch, is the faith, is, the, is, is, is what happens as a result of, of loving on others and surrounding that person with love. I, I smile because it says, call on the elders. It really means summon. 
Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I've been sick. I wasn't hanging out with all of you. I, I, I missed a couple Sundays. I, I missed the, uh, the columbarium. I really wanted to be there for that. I, I missed it. Uh, I missed the, the gathering up at Michael's <laughs> pavilion down the road. Um, I missed that. And you know what? It's easy to become separated. And it's easy to feel alone and to feel separated. And what happens is that when the elders come, they represent you. They represent this community. And when they lay hands on you, they are saying, we're connecting again. We are, you are part of us. We are all together in this. I cannot tell you how important that is to somebody on the other end. Until you've been there, until you've been there, I don't think you fully comprehend the strength of that. Now, James does some interesting things here. Because he, Michael talked about raising up Jairus' daughter last week. Well, okay, so here we are. Uh, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up. Will raise him up. Now, you may not... You may not um, be made well physically, but you could surely be made well spiritually and emotionally. Many of you know my wife's got metastatic, metastatic cancer. There's no cure for metastatic cancer. I can tell you that during the time that went through all this and we were struggling with this, God gave us a peace to be able to deal with that. It's a very different type of healing than a physical healing, but it's so much more important. And, and, and so James is talking about the fact that that healing that healing is much more than just the physical healing. And, and oftentimes, sin can have an amazing effect on, on, your, on your constitution, on how you are, how you're well, how you look at things. You're burdened down with stuff. And he's talking about here that you get twofers. You know, you get twofers here. Not only are you going to be prayed over and you're going to get healed physically in ways, but you're going to be forgiven as well. And there's going to be a rising up that's going to take place. Therefore, confess your sins, he goes on to say, to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Here we are. What would it be like if you and I could gather together 
and I could rely on you. I could open up to you, and I would know that you would be praying back for me, that you would be reaching back to me out of love. You would be, you know, out of compassion. You, out of your, out of your position of, of health and, 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 and stability, may be there to help somebody that isn't. I could, I could go on and on and on. I, 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 want to, I want to talk to you about how it showed up in my life because I want it to be practical as well. All right. Bobby and I moved here a little over a year ago. We honestly didn't know a whole lot of folk up here. 28 years in Fayetteville, support group, all kinds of support group down there. Here we are. And what do we run into at Newland Presbyterian Church? Masks. I had no idea who Holly was. All I could see are her eyes. I had people show up at my house and we talked to one another and he was a census guy and he comes up and he says, I recognize your voice. We go to church together. I had no idea. Sixteenth of July, I started to have serious colon problems. Changed my world. First, I didn't want to tell my wife. Then I told my wife. But then I sure as heck wasn't going to go ask for help from here. I mean, I, I'll solve that problem myself. I didn't go play golf for about three years three Thursdays, and people started to get a little concerned, and so they started to check. I wasn't able to go to work. And at the workplace that I do, we pray every morning before we get started. And those folks started praying and checking. I had people that started to come over and check on me. I had people that prayed for me, even wrote out a prayer, and then read it to me. I'm going to tell you something. I'm the one who prays. And he was concerned about whether it was good enough prayer because <laughs> tears. I had people write me. I had people who bugged me so much because I didn't call them back to tell them how I was doing. You don't know what the impact was of that. You don't know how precious that is. You don't understand that it's not just this community, but, but let me tell you about the greater community in Newland. The greater community in Newland had a doctor who was so concerned about what was going on and, and they ran all these tests and everything came back normal that she called me on my way to Charlotte, wasn't even in town. She knew we were going out, to, going out, to, out of town to see grandchildren and she called me because she knew I'd be concerned about 
test results. I'd only met her once. I had nurses that were checking on me. I didn't even know them. I had a, I had a referral to a gastroenterologist. I got to go and have another colonoscopy. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. But, but the fact of the matter was that the doc was booked up. But people persisted and got me in to see him. And then the very first available, I mean, the next three days later, I was on the table. People started to pray. People started to love on me, love on my wife, guys. The profound effect of that, the profound effect of being a Christian, not just in faith, but in deed, is so huge. And as a guy who was on the receiving end, and is still on the receiving end, I have got to tell you that it makes a huge difference. It separates us from the world. It separates us from other people. It causes folks to say, why in the world does somebody act like that? It causes people to want to know more and to want to be like that. That is Christian community in action. And if there's anything that I want, and I asked that I be able to do this, because I needed to let you give you some feedback. You don't oftentimes realize what it means. And what it has done, it has freed me to be able to be open with others. It's freed me to be real. And it is encouraging me to ask you to be real back. Because that is what being brothers and sisters in Christ and showing Christ's love is all about. It's why we go to the table. It's why we get renewed. It's why you are angels without wings. You are helping to bring the kingdom here in this place at this time. Thank you.